0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. Third show for this month, so I guess it's appropriate that we start with our first story. It will be about the third of something else, and that's the third Adventure Time Distant Lands special Going to be debuting on HBO May twentieth. Is that correct? Or... yeah, you haven't managed to see any of these yet either, have you? No, I watched
1: that BMO trailer or whatever when they showed the first ten minutes. But mm-hmm. Jim, there's just too much. I'm underwater over here with all. This I don't
0: stuff. know, no, no, same thing, same thing here. But uh, HBO Max announces that they cut a deal to do these four specials back in October of 2019. And it's just a year after that this Peabody Award-winning animated series ends its 10-season run on Cartoon Network. And first special was based around BMO, a fan-favorite character. That drops June twenty fifth, 2020. And then the second special, which stars Princess Bubblegum and Marceline the Vampire Queen, that was November 19th. And now we get together again and, and we finally get a show that's built around the two main characters of of the series, Jake and Finn. And here's our bullet point description in together again, after taking a break from adventuring, a series of mysterious events leads Finn and Jake farther from home than they have ever traveled. They find themselves face to face with a monstrous evil. So they must reunite for the adventure of their lifetimes. Sounds kind of epic. Yeah. By the way, we don't have an air date yet for the fourth Adventure Time Distant Lands, but we got a title, uh, Wizard City, and it's supposed to star Peppermint Butler. And it's like, what, no love for the Ice King and his penguin Gunter?
1: I'm sorry, Jim. I'm sorry.
0: You were a childhood friend of Penn, right? You know, Yes. Didn't... I don't think Penn has
1: anything to do with these, though. Oh. Um, yeah, but okay. uh, yeah, I think he got a little exhausted by the whole grind of these I was really hoping you had a
0: little juice
1: I miss Tom Kenny's Ice King I know I haven't I haven't heard what's going on with the movie or anything so uh, yeah okay
0: all right here's opening. before we get to the other animation news for this week the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience please book online at storybookdestinations.com the other really big news, in fact, the news about the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is still due to arrive in theaters October 7th, 2022. Did this surprise you at all?
1: Well, I think, I think we, didn't we know at least one of the other ones? I think we knew that Joaquim Dos Santos mm-hmm. was going to do it, but mm-hmm. we didn't know that Justin K. Thompson, who was a production designer on the original movie, mm-hmm. and he had been working at Sony Pictures Animation for a long time. Was going to co-direct, and then also Kemp Powers, which is mm-hmm. super exciting,
0: right? That one was kind of startling. I was kind of stunned that, that neither of the two original directors of the first Into the Spider Verse movie there were
1: three directors of the Spider Verse, so none of them came back for this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, but Bob Perschadie and Peter Ramsey, who I'm huge, huge, huge Peter Ramsey fan from. Rise of the Guardians, which evidently, by the way, did you see the piece in Vanity Fair? Yes. He tells this great story about doing press for Rise of the Guardians. And he talks about how, you know, he's out doing these interviews and people are talking about how, you know, you're the Obama of animation. You're the first you know black director of a a major animated feature. And then the movie comes out and does no business. And he makes the joke, it's like, you know, it's the Monday afterwards and they're looking at the money and it's like, oh, well, I'm not Obama. It turns out I'm the Herman Cain of animation, you know, (laughs) so... But it's the project you talked about earlier, the Lost Ollie thing for Netflix, that this is part of Peter's, supposedly his path away to do live action. And in fact, I was so excited that he's going to be doing a Robert Johnson biopic, the blues legend with the whole story of meeting the devil at the crossroads at midnight. And it's like, oh, I can't wait for that. But I thought for sure one of them would come back. I mean, it it won. The best animated feature that year, yeah. It's Hollywood. You know, the idea is you have a success and you're supposed to run that success straight into the ground. Well,
1: remember when Pershietti was going to do uh, Puss in Boots two for a long time? That's right. At That's DreamWorks, right. and then yeah. he kind of got moved off there, and mm-hmm. the guy that direct Joel Crawford, who did uh, Croods two, is going to mm-hmm. take over. And I don't know what Rodney Rothman is doing. The who is the third, mm-hmm. the third part of that that epic set of filmmakers. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Bob Pruschetti and Peter Ramsey and the, the gentleman just named it, a very tough act to follow, but yeah, for Sony Pictures animation to snag Kemp powers at this time with this Sunday is the, the Academy Awards. And given what just happened at the annies, you have to assume that soul's going to take it. So who, they've got an Academy Award winner, or soon-to-be Academy Award winner, lined up as a co-director of this thing. And the thing about Joaquin, I mean, if you think about the work he did on Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra over at Nickelodeon, I mean, what that says about the you know the action scenes, potentially, in right. this thing, ugh, can't wait. Yeah. I just have a short list, so if Kemp and Justin and Joaquin will indulge me, all I want, for Into the Spider-Verse 2 it's like please bring back John Mulaney as Spider-Pig really like Lily Tomlin as Aunt May and if it's possible Catherine Hahn back again as the female version of Doc Ock Olivia Octavius I mean loved her in WandaVision want to see her again quick side note December 14, 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse opens at the theaters This exact same year Black Panther comes out February that year uh, universally praised, makes a billion dollars at the box office. Two and a half months later, Avengers Infinity Wars comes out, gets great reviews, killer cliffhanger ending, sells over $2 billion, uh, worth of tickets worldwide. Ant-Man of the Wasp comes out July of that same year, only makes $622 million. But that Peyton Reed film gets great reviews. In fact, went over to Rotten Tomatoes to check this out. The original Ant-Man 2015 got an 82% freshness rating. The sequel gets an 87. And you know from your time in covering the entertainment beat, that doesn't happen with sequels. Right. So 2018, huge year for Marvel. Then uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse comes along December. Universally praised for great design, killer action scenes, fun story, by the way, over again Rotten Tomatoes, 97 freshness rating, 95% audience rating. Okay, here's my question. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences rarely honors superhero movies. So, you know, the thinking among Academy members is, look, these movies are already hugely popular and they make tons of money for the corporations that own all the studios in Hollywood now, but they're not exactly great cinematic art, so... Come award season, they don't typically do all that well. I mean, sure, tech awards, special effects, sound, sometimes score and costume, but none of the serious awards. And before anybody says anything, yes, I remember what happened in 2009. Heath Ledger takes home a posthumous Oscar for Dark Knight, and he totally deserved that award for that uh, performance. But at the same time, this is kind of how the Academy works. Sometimes the awarding of the Oscar isn't just for the actual performance. There's sentiment involved. And, you know, he was a brilliant young actor whose career had been tragically cut short. So that kind of gave him the inside straight. Joaquin
1: just won an Oscar for playing the same part. You know, he was the Joker a couple of years ago and won see, the Oscar.
0: See, that's the thing, okay? But it, uh, getting back to uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, it's February 2019 did the enormous success of Black Panther, Avengers: Infinity Wars and to a lesser extent Ant-Man plow the road for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Oscar win? Or do you think the Sony Picture Animation, you know, which, which by the way was produced in association with Columbia Pictures and Marvel Studios, I need to say that or certain people get mad at Drew and I, you got to give credit where credit is due. Did it win all on its own? I mean, the 91st Academy Awards were kind of weird. That was the year that Black Panther actually scored a Best Picture nomination but lost the Green Book. Ugh. But true to form, Black Panther then goes on to take a Oscars for Best Score, Best Production Design, and Best Costume. Was it that it was kind of a weak feel in animation? I mean, face it, that's the year with Incredibles 2 and... Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Mirari. I mean, again, there's always that foreign film that gets the animation nod, and this one was uh, made in Japan by Studio Chizou. Honestly, when I was looking at the list that year, I thought that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the only serious competition was Isle of Dogs, and that was largely because it was a Wes Anderson stop-motion. And there were a lot of folks that felt bad that... The Fabulous Mr. Fox, you know, when it was nominated back in 2010, it didn't win. And that maybe the Academy would try to make it up to Wes. But what do you think? I mean, what happened here? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that you're right that it it, it definitely
1: all those other movies kind of set it up to to win. But that movie is such mm-hmm. a amazing artistic tour de force. And I think it was something that um, nobody expected to be such a hit. And I can only imagine the older academy voters who were forced to watch that movie again and again by their children who said can we put the screener back in uh one more time you know so it's too much of a work of art i think to completely ignore even if it does have the spider-man title on it
0: it has such a distinct look and it's so well written and that year it was the standout animated film And in a weird sort of way, I genuinely kind of felt bad for Brad Bird, who I never got the sense that Incredibles 2 was a passion project. In fact, do you remember the interviews he did for Incredibles 2, where he talked about when they were starting on the project and the fact that there had now been all of these Marvel movies? What was the analogy he used? It was like a football field that had been played on a lot. There wasn't a lot of fresh grass, and it was like, you know, how do I make this this field look good again? Have you watched Incredibles two again? No,
1: I would like to. I've sort of been getting that itch to watch it again, but you know, I think it's a beautiful looking movie. I think it's amazing how little new territory it really goes into. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. they kind of bend over backwards to put the family right back to where they started in the in the last movie by kind of recriminalizing mm-hmm. the superheroes where they mm-hmm. it seemed like they were actually being embraced by the end of the first movie. And yeah. the fact that the only real twist is what if Mrs. Incredible got mm-hmm. the call to action instead of Mr. Incredible? I don't know. I just expected something a little bit more imaginative from
0: the team. There were some genuinely funny set pieces and that sort of thing. But to have Bob at home taking care of the baby just a little tried and true sitcom me yes eh. so okay talk to me about how you you tripped onto this horton hears a who thing
1: i mean it was from twitter mm-hmm. and apparently in some other countries they're showing horton hears a who on the disney channel and mm-hmm. i'm assuming on disney plus mm-hmm. without the blue sky studios logo in front of the movie mm-hmm. so it cuts just from the 20th century fox logo to the title card
0: just to source this properly folks that someone called bumpy gaming posted this clip on april 19th and don't besmirch the good name of bumpy gaming i'm, I'm just crediting the man with his discovery or the woman for that matter uh anyway it does appear to show the opening of this blue sky film from March of 2008, it goes straight from the classic 20th Century Fox logo to a title card that reads 20th Century Fox Animation Presents, with no mention of Blue Sky. Mm-hmm. First of all, I was unaware that there was a Disney channel in Russia, it started up in August of 2010 as a replacement for JetX, but I then went over to YouTube and watched one of the original trailers for Horton Hears a Who, and... It doesn't show Blue Sky Studios either, or at least not. Oh, till, interesting. Not till the end. Okay. At the end, they get one of those credit card, you know, uh, things that you see, you know, where they go quickly list all of, you know, the, the name talent and the the above the line folks. But anchored, you know, at the very bottom of this graphic, to the left is the Blue Sky logo, but okay. to the right, and the, the exact same size, as the Blue Sky logo, is the 20th Century Fox logo. I apologize, folks, for, hey, here's a controversy, but we don't know if it's true. But it's just one of these things where we honestly need to do a little bit more research to actually look at the original Horton here's Who from March of 2008 to see if maybe this is how Fox did it back then. Yeah. Okay, we were just talking about the Oscars, and this past weekend the Annie's were held out your way, and they're always sort of considered the harbinger of what you know how the Academy Awards are going to go, animated feature-wise. Did anything surprise you here?
1: Well, no. I mean, a lot of the people are claiming that Soul swept
0: it, but Mm.
1: it really it edged out Wolfwalkers, but not in a huge way, and Soul won Best Feature. Wolf Walker's won best indie feature, which, you know, again, a movie made for Apple TV being an yeah. indie feature. Okay, whatever. But it was also great because um, Tom Moore, did you see he got, he won the best sponsored uh, short as well for There's a Monster in My Kitchen. That great. Oh, um, the thing with
0: the Jaguar. Yeah. yeah no, that yeah. was a lovely piece. Wow. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, I mean, a lot of our favorites, you know, made made the cut. Hilda and and Primal were best TV uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of general audience and children. Gendy won for best directing of an animated TV show. Best character animation went to Soul. Mm -hmm. It was pretty down the line, but, you know, Tom Moore and Ross Stewart won best direction for the feature. Mm -hmm. over soul which is Mm -hmm. that's that's significant they also won best character design you know i think that there's still a fight to be had i i would be surprised if soul didn't win Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean wolfwalkers is getting the 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 very justified attention that it deserves so it's all up for grabs at this point but i think soul will probably take it on i would i would also be surprised if it didn't win best score as well
0: i'm not gonna fight you there it has an amazing score yeah but speaking of scores and somebody who has a score to settle (laughs) this morrissey thing so stupid if you go back over morrissey's history he is a guy who isn't good at picking fights
1: well he's also had some pretty questionable statements in recent years this is Um, true this is true
0: but it's just sort of like the fact that he felt the need to do this. It's The Simpsons. Is this its 31st season at this point?
1: Yeah, 31st or 32nd, yeah.
0: I can't tell you the last time I watched The Simpsons in real time.
1: Well, you should you should check this one out, Jim. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch is playing the Morrissey type I heard that. I heard that. Yes. Brett McKenzie from mm-hmm. Flight of the Concords and mm-hmm. the Muppets movie, mm-hmm. the more recent Muppets movies, did the songs mm-hmm. for this episode. So... It is definitely worth watching and it definitely, you know, it take it definitely pokes some fun at Morrissey. But the fact that he responded with a press release mm-hmm. is just the most ridiculous, humorless uh, yeah. thing in the world and proves that he is just a giant... I'm sorry, well, Ava, for it to use the language, but, you know, yeah, he is. it yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, is quite true. But it, these days I pay attention to The Simpsons, but it's mostly to, again, it's, you know, who's been recast or Hank Azaria apologizes or a Morrissey issues a press release. And it's like, I really have to watch the show as opposed to watch around it. But speaking of things that, that we should probably make a point of watching, What about this Apple TV Plus Skydance short? Uh, What can you tell us about that? Yeah, fans of the
1: show, we've we've talked about Prep and Landing before. It's it's directed by Joe Mateo, who worked on Prep and Landing and Big Hero Mm Six. So I mean, we've got to give him a shout out. It Mm -hmm. it follows the journey of a stranded horticulturist astronaut's chances for survival after he crashes on a desolate dwarf planet. When an ethereal visitor arrives, the once-lone traveler discovers the joy in building a new life and realizes the universe has delivered astonishing salvation. So, Ooh. that sounds fun to me. That I mean, does the image is fun. very cute of, of him sort of encountering this uh, alien being. Okay. It's produced by Heather Schmidt-Fang mm-hmm. Yanau, who mm-hmm. worked on Toy Story and the Cars trilogy. Mm-hmm. And is, of course, executive produced by everybody's favorite hugger, John Lasseter. <laughs> so, yeah. Obviously, you know, we'll see.
0: All right. And before we we, we close out the news section here, we we had the Love and Robots season two trailer drop. And and what's her take on that?
1: I thought Love and Robots was cool. I mean, I really liked the first batch of episodes. I don't know how you felt about it. What I think this one will benefit from is that Jennifer Yu Nelson, who worked on the two latter Kung Mm -hmm. Fu Panda movies, Mm -hmm. for a while she was the most successful female director in the history of cinema is executive producing and directing one of the episodes. So mm-hmm. I hope that it, the kind of like lad mag feel mm-hmm. of the first one, like, ooh, animated boobies <laughs> will be less pronounced this season. But yeah. there's two by Blur Studios. One mm-hmm. is directed by Tim Miller. I'm really excited. I saw another one. There's a, another short this, this year based on a Joe R. Lansdale story, mm-hmm. who's one of my favorite Texas writers and... Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I think it looks fun. I mean, I like that it's a different, it's different, you know, it's not, it's not singing and dancing and
0: lollipops. Always like to encourage animations that are bumping out the borders. And when we get back, we're going to talk about an animation studio that really did try to bump out the borders, but not in an entirely successful way. Last show, Jordan and I did a feature piece about DreamWorks Animation's aborted feature, Tusker, as well as what was supposed to be Digital Domain's first full-length animated feature, The Legend of Tembo. Just yesterday, I was circling back on The Legend of Tembo, and God, there is a surprising amount of stuff for that film available over on YouTube. I mean, there is there are whole s- sequences and animatic, you know, featuring storyboards. There's animation tests with the walk cycles and concept art. And the more you look at it, the more in depth you get into this, it you just you get a sense of what a loss it is that on the very first day, when they were just a month out from getting yeah. started the financial guys pulled a plug and locked the doors and it looks like they it could have legitimately been a great film there but do you want to talk about what, what popped up online this week yeah well i mean you sent this to me the
1: second it went up cuz you said watch this before they take it down but it's actually i think stayed up oh um, oh cool 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 and somebody okay. actually sunk, synced that footage with audio from the original movie that they found the same scene um which is really cool but Anyway, this is a some 3D footage from the Robert Zemeckis Yellow Submarine remake slash reimagining. And it's really pretty striking.
0: They've done such a great job of caricaturing the Fab Four. Yeah. You know exactly who you're looking at. In fact, somebody was talking about Ringo Starr, that he looked cartoonish in life, so this was relatively easy transition.
1: Right. It looked a little bit like the animated show, Yes, too, yes, um, yeah. Um, I, which I you? actually really liked, especially on Paul. It looks a lot like his...
0: There we uh, go. There we yeah. go. This was supposed to be the 3D remake of the 1968 hand-drawn version of Yellow Submarine. You were talking about how... Really, this film happened in a in a large way because of Dick Cook, right? Or was yeah, going to happen? Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, it was announced at the first D twenty three in September two thousand nine by Dick Cook, who was a executive who really took chances mm-hmm. and who was really embracing a lot of talent at this time. He was the one who spearheaded the Guillermo del Toro. Haunted Mansion movie that has still yet to see the light of day. He brought Gore Verbinski back to the studio for Lone Ranger. Mm -hmm. You know, he was really doing some things that were really talent forward. And Mm -hmm. remember at the time that when Dick Cook left, Johnny Depp almost left the company. Yep, He said that Dick Cook was his Mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. And so that shows you how kind of in tune he was with talent. But yeah, I mean, getting Zemeckis, who hadn't made a movie for Disney since mm-hmm. Who Framed Roger Abbott in 1988,
0: that's a huge, no, huge... No, that was a huge get. And to be able to make the deal with Apple, I remember talking with people at Disney at the time, and they were, the folks, particularly at the Disney Music Group, were just losing their minds. You know, the notion that we'll have a soundtrack album that features original Beatles music, and it just, you know, yes, they were going to have to split the money with Apple, but this was going to be huge. And this was this plan about we're going to open this movie in London in the summer of 2012, which just happens to be when the Summer Olympics are happening in London. And the entire world will be focused there. We'll hold our premiere of the film there and we'll have to make room for the piles of money. And and of course, it all comes crashing down. May of 2010. Disney shuts down Image Movers and Image move, Movers digital the studio that was going to make Yellow Submarine. And that was supposedly because of the underperformance of Disney's A Christmas Carol, which at their first D23 Expo, they were pushing that one hard too. And then March of 2011, Disney winds up abandoning Yellow Submarine entirely. And that's largely in the background of how badly Mars Needs Mom did. In fact, Disney announces they're abandoning Yellow Submarine on March 14, 2011. Drew Mars Needs Mom opened on Friday, March 11th. You know, <laughs> so, so three days later, bang, dead. As somebody who's been covering the entertainment industry for several decades now. Let me flat out ask you: Do you think Image Moving Digital would still be around if they had picked better projects? Well, I'm sure on paper, both of these things seemed
1: fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem with Mars Needs Moms was that Zemeckis didn't direct it, mm-hmm. and it had huge mm-hmm. post-production issues. There were character redesigns at the last minute. Seth Green was the voice of the kid yes, for a long yes. time. Do you yeah. remember that?
0: Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think Christmas Carol is actually pretty good.
0: My problem with Christmas Carol is that third act... They add all of these action scenes. That, you know, yeah. that it's clear at that moment that Zemeckis doesn't trust the source material. It's like it's Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. It's the most produced. I think only Robin Hood. There've only been more versions of Robin Hood proo- produced, and again, in both cases, it's largely because the book is in public domain, and it's a holiday thing. And in fact, that's the thing that that I find fascinating about the whole image movers uh, thing. Is the first thing that really puts them on the map is is Polar Express, the film based on the Chris Van All's best selling picture book, and you know, performance capture, Tom Hanks in multiple roles. This is a guy who clearly. You know, if you come to him with a with a technology or a film that has challenges, he gets on board. I mean, we I mean, think about yeah. it. The famous story about how he said yes to Toy Story back in the early '90s, where as Billy Crystal, you know, when they showed him the original test with Lunar Larry, where they'd taken that scene from when Harry met Sally. In fact, yeah. if you go online, there is the test for Lunar Larry. And do you know the scene in When Harry Met Sally where it's Bruno Kirby and and Carrie Fishers are, are moving into an apartment and they're arguing about a wagon wheel coffee table? Yes. And Billy Crystal goes off on this amazing rant and the thing is, that's what they chose to animate? It's Lunar Larry doing, you know, Billy Crystal's voice with performing as Lunar Larry doing the wagon wheel coffee table rate. And what's funny is once you know that, the fact that when the camera pulls back, Lunar Larry is walking out from under a wagon wheel coffee table, it's like, oh, well, there we go.
1: Well, then they animate uh, Tom Hanks yelling at the dog from...
0: Yes, yes, yes. They did from Turner and Hooch. Not the car, not the car. By the way, I've got a friend who... There's a test for Hopper when they were trying to get Al Pacino to do Hopper. And evidently there's a piece of animation that was done to, I want to say it's it's a clip out of Carlito's Way. I've been chasing that forever. But again, this stuff that Pixar just will never let out, but folks can put together after the fact. But Polar Express comes out in November of 2004, costs $165 million to make only makes 286 and ticket sales worldwide but it recovers its cost and it eventually becomes a holiday perennial but then you know we were talking about the whole thing about uh strange choices you know so the the follow-up to this then is monster house which is a movie that celebrates halloween which it's sony that do we do we just
1: do, Yeah, sony released uh, it yep yeah.
0: Okay, Sony, in its wisdom, sends it out into theaters, Halloween film, in July of 2006. Right. So that's Hocus Pocus all over again. I mean, remember how when that was initially released to theaters, this now Halloween beloved classic was released in July, but that costs $75 million to make, only makes, sells 141 worth of tickets, and it's one month after Monster House opens in theaters that Disney's poaching Robert Zemeckis, that they're going to cut a deal to you know and they're particularly interested in doing something with image image movers and i have to assume once again as you were just saying this is dick cook could they have already been looking at beowulf and think we need to line up a deal for after this because this isn't going to work
1: i don't i mean remember beowulf had a lot of heat around it it hasn't had an Angelina Jolie. I remember there was a pretty robust uh, consumer products tie-in. There were action figures. Nobody thought this was going to be bad, you know, co-written by the by
0: Neil Gaiman, right? Like, come on. I get that. I get that. But you are making a movie based on the book that everyone gets assigned in English class, but they don't ever actually read. This must be the most cliff noted book in the history of man. And the fact that, you know, finally, the movie, you know, a movie based on that book that you never wanted to read in English class. And when it comes to Angelina Jolie, the, the, the fact that, ooh, I get to see a CG version of her. It's like, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of seeing Angelina Jolie? Right. I love the story he told because it was the first time he had worked with
1: Crispin Glover since Back to the Future, which oh. resulted, the sequels resulted in a famous multimillion dollar lawsuit when they used the prosthetics they then made for kirsten glover in the first film on different actors in two and three yep so they they had buried the hatchet and he said you know what i didn't have to worry mm-hmm. about stuff like him missing his mark or coming in too late or anything mm-hmm. because we were just capturing it in performance capture mm-hmm. he could be as crazy as he wanted so mm-hmm. it was actually the perfect kind of marriage there which i thought was kind of funny
0: you pointed out that we had uh, Polar First was was Warner Brothers, Monster House was Sony, and then when it was Beowulf, what was it? Uh, Beowulf
1: was a paramount domestic release in Warner Brothers International. So. so
0: you had three of the majors in Hollywood who tried their hand at performance capture, kind of lose their appetite. So again, great time to be making a deal with Disney. <laughs> Disney allows the company to sort of reorganize and now launch themselves as Image Movers Digital. But evidently, the orders coming down from Dick Cook make better choices. Let's go with material that people actually want to see. The only big success, really, they've had with you know people now having the Blu-ray and the DVD and the VHS of Polar Express, and they're, they're playing it every year. It's like, OK, let's do another Christmas movie. Why didn't that work? I mean, you're right. I've, now I'm thinking about like the sequence where he gets turned into a
1: tiny mm. person. Do you remember that? And he like yep. is falling off of rooftops mm. and mm-hmm. stuff. But, I mean, Zemeckis was really selling this as... Do you remember all that press he did where he said, "We well, you know, A Christmas Carol is really a, a time travel story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, he tried to connect it to Back to the Future. Yeah. yeah.
0: So... There are scenes that actually... Masterful scenes in this movie. Like the opening, where you do this amazing flyover, then fly through the streets of London, and you watch the city getting ready for Christmas, you know, and the rich and the poor, and that's beautifully done. At the same time, there's a moment in this movie that haunts me to this day. Third act, you're back at the Cratchits. Bob Cratchit comes back. he's just been to the grave of Tiny Tim and he's he's talking with his family and trying to cheer them up but but Scrooge and the figure of death are sort of lurking in the stairs and and Cratchit goes to go walk upstairs and he comes up out of the shadow and he's been talking to his wife and his children and you know just you know it, it'll be fine and just comes up in the light and the sheer heartbreak on the face that you know this man is crushed he's lost his son and it's like i've never seen that moment ever done in a christmas carol and it just it just nails home the raw motion of the moment and it just pivot to uh jim carrey's you know cg version of scrooge at that point and you just sort of realize you know you see the breakthrough and it's it again it's not that it's a bad Movie, but it just was it a really you know again we have twelve hundred versions of Christmas Carol did we really need another one right so we get that one and Zemeckis supposedly wanted to show Disney because they were nice enough to help reorganize Image Movies Digital Disney I guess had already acquired the rights to Berkeley Breathard's, uh Mars Needs Mom. A picture book came out in 2007. And so it was a notion of, look, let me show you I'm a team player. So you've acquired this picture book. I'll make the movie about this. And we'll make this the affordable movie after Christmas Carol. But then in this exact same window of time, you have Apple really wanting to do more with uh, the Beatles music catalog which again remember quite famously Michael Jackson acquired making That's right. kind of Paul McCartney very unhappy. So this is in the same window of time we see the Beatles get Qatar Hero uh, you know in fact you know that comes out in September of 2009 you know the same month as the D23 thing. And previous to that we'd had the Cirque du Soleil show Love at the Mirage in Las Vegas. The thinking was that it's like, oh, my God, we're going to get Disney and the Beatles and Robert Zemeckis, you know, all together. And we have this, I'm not going to say Yellow Submarine is a genuinely beloved film, but people have a lot of fondness for it. I really like it a lot. It actually has one of my favorite moments. The Blue Meanies have been defeated. And it's the head of the blue media. So, well, what are we going to do now? We're, you know, what are we going to do? And the, his little assistant wearing the Mickey Mouse ears sort of, kind of runs up to, well, there's always Argentina. <laughs> I, I love the Nazi joke. You know, just sort of just slide that right. in there. But what's cool about this is you've actually gotten to talk with somebody who worked on this. Yeah. Can you you talk about your conversation with Doug Chang?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Doug is a genius. He is, you know, oversees all of Lucasfilm stuff right now. I think he's an executive at the company. But I was talking to him for either Rebels or some star Force Awakens or whatever. But I had to say, like, you know, tell me about Yellow Submarine. And he said, Oh, it was just going to be amazing. Like the work that we had done there was really groundbreaking. And it was gonna be the movie that kind of that broke MoCap through to a kind of wider popular. Mm-hmm audience and everybody was super disappointed because we really felt like this was the one where we were really going to have a home run. And, Mm -hmm. you know, part of me says like, well, you did all these other movies that nobody gave a shit about, like why this, but it sounded like they were going to really push the, the envelope in terms of visuals. And Mm -hmm. it sounded like everybody really loved the original animated movie. And it was being done with a lot of heart and consideration Mm -hmm. and, you know, artistic integrity. So, Mm It was a real heartbreaker. But one day we will get the full story, I'm sure, about what happened. And
0: I hope you so. Know, I hope so. I don't so. think we'll ever see it. But, no, you know. no. But this test, again, I just this is what I love about the Internet. Every so often someone will, will share a toy that perhaps, you know, <laughs> that, did I sign a non-disclosure? Oh, I forgot. Oh, was I not supposed to put right. that online? But, but now i got to go back and find this version where they've synced up the, the audio. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, and we're
1: going to have another Disney Beatles thing later this year with the. uh, That's right. That's right. The Peter. Which I've heard is just amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, well, I love the story that this same footage had been used previously for another documentary and had really sort of put the recording of this album in, in kind of a negative light. And it was Peter who went back and looked at the hundred hours worth of footage and, and discovered that's really not what happened or there's an entirely different story that can be told here or
1: yeah I forget who was talking about it but I mm. think it was I think it was maybe Stephen Colbert was mm. down in New Zealand and mm. he said that he and Peter Jackson watched eight hours of raw footage. Oh just some random afternoon. But it's using some of the footage that Michael Lindsay Hogg put in his 1970 documentary about the making of let it be there we go Um, Mm -hmm. yeah but this is like they found something like 60 hours or something 140 hours jim
0: holy
1: um of audio and 55 hours of footage so this is gonna be amazing i I think can't, can't wait um so august august 27th
0: there we go. Okay. Well, speaking of things I ca- I just can't wait for. Well, what is going on next with light the fuse, light the wick, and light the fuselage?
1: Well, like you know, light the wick is winding down. Light the fuselage has been pushed back because Top Gun: Maverick is now opening in November. So mm-hmm. we are focusing on the 25th anniversary of Mission Impossible, the first one, mm-hmm. and the 15th anniversary of Mission Impossible Three, um, both of which are happening in. May so we're mm-hmm. gonna do some some Twitter watch parties and we're gonna do some we've got our Paul Hirsch episodes coming up for the first mm-hmm. one okay and we've got a new logo by mm-hmm. the guys that actually designed the logo for um Rogue Nation and oh Fall
0: yeah that's, that's killer and while you're waiting for these wonderful Light the Fuse shows uh we do have a few podcasts over here as well we have Disney Dish We just recorded a brand new Marvelous Disney last night. Kind of a fun episode. And if you could head over to Apple Podcasts. And if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. That keeps the lights on here. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back soon.